Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the debate focuses on Thursday's hearing, digging into allegations of sexual misconduct by Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. They captivated the country. I believed he was going to rape me. I have never done this. The impact the proceedings will have on the midterms. It's just going to make the divide worse. Are we going to get our best and our brightest and our most talented to go through this kind of scrutiny? On sexual abuse survivors. For me, watching this hearing, it was triggering. And the courts long term. They are the youngest members of the Philadelphia School Board. Because we're in these schools every day. I think it's definitely a big task. This duo's mission and their effort to give voice to 200,000 public school students. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is a confirmation hearing for Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. On Thursday, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford gave riveting testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. I was pushed onto the bed and Brett got on top of me. She alleges that Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her at a party during high school, a claim he flat out denies. I have never done this to her or to anyone. He called the hearing a circus, a left-wing hit job. Democrats said more evidence is needed. He should thoroughly investigate this. Republicans backed off the steamroll confirmation, allowing for a week-long probe by the FBI. But what, if any, long-term impact will the Kavanaugh hearings have on the midterms? Or how about the courts? Long term. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Larry Seisler. He's a political strategist and principal of Seisler Media and Issue Advocacy. We also have Krista Hayburn. She's marketing coordinator for Women Organized Against Rape. She's also a former Philadelphia police officer and is an advocate for women. On the phone, we have Linda Dale Hoffa, partner at Dilworth Paxson. She served as counsel for the Senate Judiciary Committee for two years. Welcome, everybody, to Flashpoint. Great to be here. Thank you. We heard emotional testimony on Thursday. I want to start with you, Linda. What struck you about this process this time? Well, this was absolutely amazing testimony, and I think it had the country clearly riveted. Professor Ford came across, and I'm thinking now not just having gone through two Senate uh, confirmation hearings for two Supreme Court justices, Uh, during the Obama administration, but also as a former federal prosecutor. So assessing her testimony, she came across incredibly credible and sympathetic. And I think that she did a terrific job speaking clearly and from the heart in a very believable manner to the American people. And in her presentation, she made very strong rebuttals to the criticisms that the Republicans on the Senate 
uh, Judiciary Committee had lobbed against her. But was he credible to you? He got on the stand. Yeah. So in this he said, she said kind of drama, he came across angry as anybody would be angry if they were wrongfully accused. And he was in there at times very sympathetically portraying himself, how horrible this is, how can he defend himself. And it's totally a he said, she said situation. And so, Krista, you work with war. How did you view this? I'll just share, too, is that I'm also a survivor. Mm. So for me, watching this hearing, it was triggering from a survivor point of view. But from an outsider looking in, we've seen an increase just in this past week with our numbers onto the hotline because other survivors are being triggered by the comments that are going across media as well as social media of not being believed. Mm. This is the stuff that they struggle with. Yes. So it's very draining. Yeah. And when you saw Dr. Ford relive this in front of America, millions and millions of eyeballs, did you feel for her? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Because I remember just sitting in in testifying myself and I could sit myself in her shoes in that moment and knowing how hard that was and have the brave face that she had. And she was an amazing voice of reason. Larry, what's the politics of this situation? Well, the politics are bad. No matter what side you're on, I think take out events like 9-11 and whatever. I think I think it's like the worst day in, in recent American history. And I think it's just going to make the divide worse. People don't trust one another. You know, you saw it like in what Lindsey Graham said. I mean, like, because what happened with Dianne Feinstein, mm. the fact that they had the information and they didn't do anything with it. Now, you could still do it now. You could still do something at the end, you know, do the FBI background check or whatever. You know, but from the Democrat standpoint, the fact that the the major, you know, the major witness, the major witness, uh, this fellow Mark Judge, they don't bring him in. So how can you do it? And it and it hurts. It's obviously going to hurt the court. If Kavanaugh is confirmed, I don't see this man having a peaceful day for the rest of his life. He's always going to be under some type of pressure. People are going to talk about impeachment. There's going to be lots of things. I feel for his for his family. It's just not good for the system. But I think politically, it is going to charge up people, especially in the in the close in the closer election. And and they may and the Republicans may view that as beneficial because of the simple fact that they would get to sway the court for for at least a generation. Yeah, I think some Republicans will. Yes, they say it's worth it. It'll, it'll be worth it. One of the big issues. This man has written articles saying that he does not believe a sitting president should be indicted. He's basically President Donald Trump's get-out-of-jail-free card. Isn't that true, that that's one of the reasons why the Democrats want to tank him and why the Republicans are hell-bent on making this happen? What the Democrats want to do is they want to delay, 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 because their hope is that no one goes on the bench before the midterm elections. They hope that they take control of Congress. And if they do that, then they'll be able to have a lot more influence if and when anyone else gets on that on the bench. One of the serious downsides, and I absolutely mm. believe what Larry said, is that this really widens the divide here in our country, and it's very, very bad. It also tarnishes the reputation of the Supreme Court. Yes, and, which and is supposed is to be beyond that, reproach. That, and it's critical to the, to the strength of the court that their reputation remain untarnished. And this kind of um, uh, circus as it's been described, only tarnishes that. So I'm sure the other justices there are very unhappy about what's going on. And And, and, remember what um, 
what the candidate said yeah. when he tested when he gave his statement yesterday. He said, "Who's going to come forward? Are we going to get our best and our brightest and our most talented?" to go through this kind of scrutiny again. People will think twice and say, thank you very much. I'm happy where I am. Sherry, you know, it's even worse. Right. I mean, this is this is a person who's going to go on the Supreme Court, you know, talking in raw politics. And, and he and that court is supposed to be above that. Chris, I mean, you know, as a survivor, do you feel like this was anything about truth? <laughs> no. No, this is all politics. I think when I was watching the Democrats, um, they really... They felt for her, and I, I did feel that. But when it the roles reversed and it went on to the Republican side, I really felt they attacked her story, even when they made claims that they did believe her. Do you think the FBI uh, FBI investigation should have happened, that more information should have been presented besides just testimony from these two people without corroboration? Well, I mean, obviously, the FBI background check was not complete. Now, they only go back so many years. That's the thing. The high school years are not part of that FBI background check. You know, but the fact that this Mark Judge played such an important role, how could you not talk to a person like this? Obviously, they didn't talk to enough of his, his, Yale, his Yale classmates. And then you have, you know, you have other allegations, you know, coming, coming yeah, forward. Which, yeah. So, you know, look, I think in the end with the FBI, they didn't complete their job. I want to talk about the impact this whole situation will have from different points of view. First of all, we're talking about people's high school records, yearbooks being called into question for 36 years later. Thoughts on that? Today, with social media, everybody's background is up for grabs from the moment they enter social media. So I think for millennials and younger generations, that's not anything new for them. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I was talking, we still have a high school senior at home, you know, and we were, you know, we were, you know, we were talking about this. Hell, you know, if you want to be on the Supreme Court one day, you know, what you do now um, can affect you. That's what I'm saying. Like, should your high school record be able to be up for grabs for a professional job 36 years after? Well, as a person who hires people, I would say no. But you got to be able to tell the truth about it. Remember, at the end of the day here, what it came down to was, is he telling the truth? Right. Unfortunately, it wasn't about the act. Right. It was, is he telling the truth? Because again, he positioned himself in one way in high school mm-hmm. and in college, and people were saying, no, that wasn't, that wasn't you. I never got so drunk that I passed out. Come on. I, I don't know if I believe that, but yeah. I mean, do you think this will, the way that this went down, Krista, it'll affect the way whether or not survivors come forward? Absolutely. I think as we've taken so many steps forward, this might possibly make us go a couple steps back, um, especially because we're dealing with something that's so that could change his his this this decision could change change the world or change the United States in the political sense if he takes if he takes the bench and and from what I've seen of who he is, he's not a very pro woman stand yeah which is scary for somebody like me yeah or my daughter who's going to be growing up under his leadership and that could be a backlash as krista says Mm -hmm. absolutely he could get on that bench and be a very bitter person well linda you know it's interesting some of that experience with clarence clarence thomas yeah i heard people confirmed after anita hill and he's a bitter man yeah Mm -hmm. i heard people talking about that this morning yeah that they felt that the clarence thomas the confirmation hearing transformed him 
into into what he is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that there's concern that that could happen, you know, with Kavanaugh, that he would just be so, you know, bitter and vindictive over this. Yeah. And he looked upset and and specifically directed his ire to Democrats, even the ones that were trying to be nice to him. Uh, he felt like it was a hit job, a demo, you know, a liberal hit job. And so uh, and I wanted to kind of move to that. You hit the point, Linda. I mean, people have said that, you know, Clarence, who Clarence Thomas was before the Anita Hill came forward and all the hearings, the confirmation hearings died. And then he became this other person who was literally he he hates the media. He barely writes any opinions. And he does not care what anybody says. He just does what he does. And he was literally one of the most conservative voices on the court. Truly one of the most conservative. And he never asks questions during the arguments. He's not engaged. One of the important things about being on uh, an appellate court is to be um, someone who can work with others so that consensus can be formed and the court, it's very important to speak with a very strong voice and a unified voice. That gives the court even more power when it speaks. Uh, But from Clarence Thomas, often he's dissenting, and he's a lone voice, and he's a lone figure, and he's isolated. And so given that experience, I don't think it bodes well with what the lessons learned from this confirmation hearing will be for this new nominee. Yeah, and, and and that's the interesting part because Democrats, a lot of civil rights groups, a lot of folks were concerned that if Kavanaugh gets on the bench, he is going to, it's going to be horrible for lots of minority groups, immigrants, all these groups. And now Democrats, by, you know, pushing this forward in this way, could actually make it even, even, I don't know, it could be worse. Even the, worse. Even, even worse. worse. In other words, pushing him further to the right. There have been experiences, as we all know, from Supreme Court justices that they evolve over time as they're on the court and they learn and they see things from a new perspective. But if this is a, an experience that mm. makes one very bitter and very isolated, it makes it less likely that they can evolve in a way um, that will uh, allow them to change in positive new directions. I mean, he's obviously very upset. Kavanaugh was pissed off. I mean, that's just that's putting it nicely um, about this. I mean, he looked flabbergasted like I can't even believe I'm here talking about what I wrote in my yearbook. You know, God knows how long. But do you think for the as far as the American people are concerned that he's just tainted and that no one will ever look at him like a fair guy ever, uh, uh, no no matter what he said? I don't think he's ever going to have a good day going forward. I think he is he is tainted. There's no doubt about it. Over the next weeks, months, years, more is going to come out. They're all going to do their interviews. They're going to get to Mark Judge. There's, there's going to be more. Should they have just said, you know what, we're going to move on? Is it going to all be worth it? I think that perhaps it could have been, let's regroup. Uh, we've got plenty of qualified candidates. Here's another one. But I think the timing, as I mentioned earlier, is the most significant thing. They wanted to get a conservative on the bench uh, before the midterm elections to deliver something that had been promised. And that would be very helpful to them in the midterm elections. Because this is Flashpoint, we have to wrap this up, assuming that Brett Kavanaugh gets the nod yes. What does that mean? It means that the conservatives will have a solid majority. 
and that the court will take a sharp turn to the right. Politically, I think it is going to energize Democrats even more in the midterm election. And what does it mean for survivors? It's going to be more of a band, um, and Me Too is going to really start voicing their opinions a lot louder. So Me Too is going to grow? I think so, absolutely. What happens if, on the other side, the nomination is tanked? It means that someone will not be on the bench before the midterm elections. That may energize the Republican base for the midterm elections. If Kavanaugh is pulled or delayed, I think it is going to energize Republican voters because they're going to feel it was a setup. That's number one. Um, but number two, I think the Trump, that President Trump would name his new nominee very quickly. Um, and I think people know who it's going to be. And then those senators in those states that were carried by Trump who are running for reelection are going to be back in the same predicament that, that they were with Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh's tanked. What does it mean for survivors? It means that their voices were heard and somebody was believed in the most highest judicial committee hearing, which would be incredible. Well, with that, I want to say thank you to Larry Seisler. Thank you to Krista Hayburn. And thank you to Linda Dale Hoffa for being on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Next up, they're the voice of 200,000 students. about having a plan. You all have one end goal. The Philadelphia School Board's youngest new members will be right back. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. One thing that gets Philly residents hot under their collar is when some do not have a say in the policies that impact their lives. Well, the Philadelphia School Board is giving voice to the 200,000 public school students by appointing two student representatives. Julia Frank and Alfredo Practico, both 17, were formally installed as non-voting members of the board earlier this month. The Northeast High and Masterman students' primary duty is to present student concerns and views to the nine-member board. With me in the studio to discuss their new roles is Julia and Alfredo. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Well, first of all, uh, you two were selected to sit on the school board as student members out of 53 applicants. Your reaction? <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. We had to keep it a secret mm-hmm. for like a week and a half, um, and it was so hard. I was just smiling like crazy right. when I found out. Exactly. It, was, it was incredible. It was an exhaustive selection interview process, submitting written applications. Then we had first-round interviews. Then we had final interviews with the superintendent. And then finally, we got the, the call in the email that, congratulations, you're on. And then, as Julie said, yeah. silent. How did this first meeting go, your installation? How was it? It was really good. It was really exciting. This is the first board meeting that I had ever been to. Um, So just being able to hear what parents and students and teachers from other schools have to say um, was really exciting. And it was great to get acclimated and to see the concerns from a lot of parents and from a lot of employees of the school district and to see where we can start um, hacking away and getting to work. So what has been student reaction? It's been overwhelmingly positive um, when we finally got to, to release the information. Hey, we're student board representatives. It was really positive. A lot of people were, were sharing posts and saying, you know, reach out to these people. Um, so it's just been, it's just been really good. Mm-hmm. 200,000 students. I mean, all ages. What's your goal to kind of like open the door so people can know who you are and talk to you? We really want to get down into the schools. It's a vast city and there's yes. schools all over. Yes. Um, and it's really important that for us to hit everyone we 
visit as many as we can, and we really have great conversations. So the first thing, uh, we're, we're already starting to plan some of our first events, um, going to schools and to actually have frank discussions uh, from, you know, equal footing. We're both, we're students here. We're, we want to talk about our problems, mm-hmm. not the problems of someone removed. And then we also definitely want to make sure to meet with student organizations, um, leaders of other schools. We really want to make sure to get a diverse perspective um, from students all across the city. Um, and then also having a big social media presence so we can talk to students and stay in contact with them. Back it up a little bit, Alfredo. You've already had some experience <laughs> yeah. through the government. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. It's always been my passion to work to improve the lives of other people around me. Uh, I started in fifth grade with student government, and it was amazing to be able to come back, go to people that are older than you, people that have uh, more say and say, I know my class needs this. How can we get this done? And then in high school, I started as a freshman on the superintendent's uh, advisory, student advisory council. And then last year, I actually had the privilege of helping start the citywide student government. You know, outside of the school district, I'm also appointed by Councilman Greenlee on the Philadelphia Youth Commission. Awesome background. You've been in it. Yes. Yes. And so you have a very different background. You're an entrepreneur. Yes. I kind of have my foot in a bunch of different things. Um, I do track and cross country. Um, I work at a pizza place. I I own a chapstick business called City Slickers Lip Balm. Um, And then when I saw this, I was like, wow, this is a, a chance to present student voices to the board. I want to make Philadelphia schools the best that they can be. And so when I saw this position, I was like, wow, this is something that um, I really want to do. And so even though in the future I want to be a surgeon, I want to go into biochemistry, I think just learning how to work with different people and hear other people's perspectives will just help me in the future. Yeah. I always wonder what students think, you know, when you guys read the newspaper, or you hear the news stories and they say toxic schools and they say all these things, you know, lockdowns or you hear about the central student who got shot. I mean, when you guys mm-hmm. hear this, how does it impact you when this is your school district? Kind of the reaction is surprisingly subdued because these are our schools. We've seen buckets in the hallways because we know that there's a hole in the ceiling. We've seen the pipes that are exposed and have asbestos. And we, we've lived through some of the worst budget cuts that the city has ever seen in the school district. So in a way, it's kind of numbing like it's our reality. But then it also makes you feel, why is this happening? Yeah. And then that's where you know we come in and say, well, what can we do to make it better? And it seems like things are shifting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it just shows that there's a lot of room for improvement. And that's why we are here. But part of the thing that's so great is that we have a superintendent and a mm-hmm. board who are so willing to listen to the student opinion. So they're very willing to listen to what we say when we say, you know, this is a problem. This is something that students are facing. Yeah. How can we fix it? We have people who are listening. What would it take for you guys to go through, graduate, you know, high school and to look back and say, you know what, this year was very successful with me being, you know, student rep on the school board. I just really want to see a permanent change. I want to I want to hear students ideas. And then by the end of the year, see some of them put in action, you know, just leaving a mark and also kind of setting the expectations for the people who are following us for student representatives in the future. For me, it's maybe not as tangible, but it'll be a measure of our success of how many people are reaching out to us and how many people are coming. That's a good measure. Where can all these students get in contact with you? So we're working on setting up our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Those should be coming in the next couple of days. Um, right now, our email is... studentboardrep at philasd.org. Uh, yeah. We can also be contacted on... Uh, the school district, Phila SD slash school board, the school district board ab- education website or through Twitter. So congratulations and thanks for being on Flashpoint. Thank, Thank you. you.
Next up, a Montgomery County commission that supports change. Dealing with all forms of discrimination towards women. Their effort to open dialogue and honor women who shape America's future. But first, here's this week's Flashpoint on the tweets with Flashpoint associate producer Brianna Bonds. Hey, Brianna. Hey, Cherry. We're taking it to the tweets, getting your opinion on the Flashpoint topics everybody's talking about. So again, we had two polls this week, so let's get right into it. We had to touch on the Kavanaugh thing again because it's the big topic this week. So we asked, should the FBI investigate the sexual misconduct allegations against SCOTUS nominee Brett Kavanaugh? The options were yes, less biased, no, it's a delay tactic, maybe fairer process, and I'm not sure. We had 133 votes, Cherry. Wow. Yes. So within minutes of me posting this, I looked and we already had 98 votes. Wow. Folks really engaged on this one. What was the answer? The top answer was with 62% of the vote, yes, less biased. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of folks have said that the FBI needed to take a look at this. All right. So the next question that we asked everyone in our poll was, Which should employers deem more valuable when hiring, education or work experience? Options were experience is better, education is essential, both are important, and depends on job. So we had 27 votes. Well, first, let me just tell you, Terry, nobody thought education is essential. Wow. Okay. (laughs) This is Philly, though, where 170,000 people do not have college degrees, so... That actually got 0%. So the top answer was with 44% of the vote, both are important. And then with 30% was depends on job and 26% thought experience is better. So top answers, both are important and depends on job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of shows that Philadelphia is anti-knowledge discrimination. (laughs) (laughs) Most people would seem to think that uh, experience is partly the best teacher. Yes. Yeah, that's life. Okay. So that's all for this week. Make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Flashpoint Show. Thanks for listening. All right. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community. You could dub 2018 the modern year of the woman. The 2017 Me Too movement was the outcome of women asserting their voices for empowerment louder than ever before. Resounding calls for attention to women's issues continued. Montgomery County Commission on Women and Families is a group led by women seeking to put a megaphone to these calls. The commission will be hosting their annual awareness event this October. Here to tell us more about their ongoing effort is Vice Chair and Spokesperson Teresa Harris. Welcome to Flashpoint, Teresa. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, what is a problem that the Montgomery County Commission on Women and Families seeks to solve? Um, It's not just one problem that we're looking at. As a commission, we like to address a variety of problems that women and families are facing. And, you know, recently, most likely it's been women's issues in terms of women's rights, diversity. Through our event in October, we'll be hosting the Women's Law Project. And they've done a lot of work with uh, legislative action when it comes to dealing with discrimination, all forms of discrimination towards women. So most of our work right now is focused on supporting them 
by honoring them at our October event. Wonderful. And yeah. so why did why create this commission in the first place? The commission was created in 1991 by one of our former commissioners, uh, Leslie Richards, and she felt that she wanted to have a stronger representation of women dealing with different community issues. And right now we want to focus on some of the more contemporary issues that we face. So that was really the reason why it was created. One of our commissioners felt that it was important Mm -hmm. to have more women represented in government and community leadership. Yeah. As we mentioned, there's a big pink wave of Mm -hmm. women being more active in the community. Is that part of what the goal is here is to provide that type of support? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of our primary goals right now uh, through awareness, education, and empowerment. Those are three main focuses that we have. So we look for ways that we can support women in different ways. Last year was through business, and this year it's through social activism. So uh, that's why we chose the Women's Law Project as our focus. Tell Mm -hmm. me why the Women's Law Project stuck out to you guys this year. Our theme every year is driven by the Women's History Project. And this year's theme is, nevertheless, she persisted honoring women who fight all forms of discrimination against women. And this event really gives us an opportunity to honor women who have shaped America's history and future through their tireless commitment to ending discrimination against women and girls. And the Women's Law Project really exemplifies that with the legislative actions and support and resources that they offer to women who have suffered different types of discrimination, such as sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, unequal pay. Those are the three issues that we'll be talking about during our panel discussion in October. Yeah. And so tell me about the event. The event is on October 11th at 6 p.m. at the Presidential in East Norriton, Pennsylvania. We'll be having a one-hour dinner and networking time. And then right after that, the panel discussion with three members from the Women's Law Project, including their executive director, Carol Tracy. Yeah, Carol's awesome. She's been on the show before talking about we've had multiple shows specifically surrounding the many issues facing women. Right. And the recent uptick in the number of women stepping forward in leadership roles. And we have so many women and women Mm -hmm. of color specifically Mm -hmm. across the country Mm -hmm. who are winning uh, the primaries and are are in good positions, you know, in in, in the midterms. Mm -hmm. We're hoping to support a lot of different, whether it's the discrimination factor or dealing with other issues that face women, healthcare issues, legal issues, divorce, you know, whatever um, would affect a, a woman and her family. That's where we try to find ways to be supportive. Is this open to everyone? Can anyone come out? Or are you primarily focused just in Montgomery County? You know, most of the activities that we do are in a Montgomery County focus, but, you know, anyone's welcome to come to the event. We still have sponsorships and tickets available, so yeah. we'd love to have as many people as, you know, we can, we can get. Yeah, it sounds like a great opportunity to network. So thank you so much to Teresa Harris. She's vice chair and spokesperson for the Montgomery County Commission on Women and Families. Their event, again, is in October. The website is montcopa.org backslash MCCWF. Thank you so much, Teresa.
That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. Subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast for exclusive content using the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. Simply search Flashpoint KYW. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson once said, I dream of a world where the truth is what shapes people's politics rather than politics shaping what people think is true. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.